You know, seven, that's a long time, 70 years to reign. And I think I mentioned a few months ago about King Louis the 13th or 14th, the longest reigning monarch. I think he was over, seven, he was over 70 years that he reigned. And uh, it's, we're here watching the, some of the, the British um, respond to the passing of the queen. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people are sad and everything. And, and uh, there's <clears throat> some generations only knew her. They didn't know anybody before her because she reigned so long. And, you know, sometimes a lot of, when you have a leader die, it, it is sad and people mourn. And, uh, but, you know, our, for us as Christians, it's okay to do that. To, if you have an earthly leader that passes away, to, to be sad about it, if it's especially a person of honor, and to mourn them. But even the name, but for us as a church, even this particular church, the Bible, or our, our, our church name is called Royal View Baptist Church It's because of the verse in Hebrews that we're looking unto Jesus. So we're also looking to royalty right. uh, for us. As, I mean, it's truly, you know, it's, we're looking to Jesus. It's a faith thing. By faith, we're looking to a different king. You know, we're not putting down other earthly kings and stuff. That's necessary. It's a, it's a temporary thing to help human governments fumble their way through existence. But we're looking to an ever-living king. That's why we call it Royal View Baptist Church. That's why it was named that years ago. And it comes out of the book of Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that's kind of our theme we've made it this year in particular. And then a few theme messages that relate to that of looking unto Jesus Last week, we thought we looked at the idea of we're looking to Jesus to have assurance of salvation. How do I know if I'm saved? The best person to look to is Jesus and his words, not to me. And Pastor Henry, do you think I'm saved? Do I think I'm saved? Not looking to yourself in that sense, but looking unto Jesus. Last week, we talked about the fact of looking unto Jesus for salvation in his word, and his word does say, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Do I have faith? Do I really have personal faith in Jesus Christ, or I just have the concept of faith in my brain, but not a personal faith? And it says, look to yourselves and examine yourselves in that sense of, is there faith? Do I have faith in Christ? And then it says, uh, is, know you not of your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. The Bible talks about <clears throat> the fact that when you're saved, he's in you. And he's in you in the sense of he sent his Holy Spirit to be in you. Well, so what is all that? What are, what are you talking about, Pastor? What are you getting at? Then what I'm getting at today is we're going to look at another aspect of looking unto Jesus. We look unto Jesus to have assurance of salvation, to know I'm saved. Today we're going to look unto Jesus in the sense of his comforter, the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that here in the book of, in the book of John, Jesus mentions several times Again, this is written for us several times of the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. Jesus kept saying that and saying that. So we're going to look unto Jesus today and learn about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And you know me, you, that in this church, it's something that I frequently preach about, is the, the, us, us uh, dealing with the Holy Spirit in our own life. So let's just do this. Acts, pardon me, John 16. 5 to 14. John 16, verses 5 to 14, we'll read it. And we're not reading everything that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, but we're going to take this chunk right here, okay? He 
this chunk of verses, and we're going to get four main points out of it. In John 16, verses 5 to 14. Let's pay attention now. Jesus says, this is kind of his last week of his life before he dies, but now I go to my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Then look at verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So let's just, let's just get right into this passage right now. This is like the last week of Jesus' life on earth. What's been happening for three years, up, three years up to this point? What's been happening? He's had his disciples with him very closely, right? They had a good three-year relationship with Jesus, very close, day in and day out. Um, sleeping in the same places, traveling the same places, listening to him teach, eating with him. For three years, they've been close with him. It's a, they're, they're, he, Jesus calls him their friend, my friends. You're my friends. He calls the disciples his friends. They're believers, but he says from that earthly, humanly interaction, you're my friends. And now he's been telling them, you're looking in here and all these red words, if you have a red letter edition, he's saying he's doing all this last minute teaching or last few days of teaching and he's telling them, I'm going to be going, I'm going to be going away. And they're like, what? Oh, we're all sad. You know, and they're, they're processing this whole idea of what do you mean going away? You're going to die on a cross and then you're going to... And so they're, they're getting a little sad. He even says it. Look what it says. I, verse 6. Verse 6. Because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. You're sad because I'm going away. You're sad because I'm going away. But he says, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. Do you know what that means? It is beneficial for you that I go away. Why? What's the benefit of you? When you go, Jesus, what benefit are we going to get out of this? We're sad. It's expedient for you that I go away because if I don't go away, you're not going to get this gift from the, from the Father. What's the gift? The comforter. Once I leave, I am a comforter, he says, the other comforter is going to come. It is expedient for you, verse 7, that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So here's what it's like. Here's what it's like, what Jesus is saying. Besides, let's just look at it. Here's an example. We're in Arizona. Besides it being extremely hot for uh, nine months, um, besides it being really hot, when it's not real hot, I still like the sunshine. Do you like the sunshine for the most part, except when it's just boiling you, you know? Well, you know, you go to, go to San Diego, you get a little sunshine, perfect almost all the time. I like the sunshine, and we enjoy it. There's a, isn't there a little bit of a comfort in, like, having some light? Have you ever had a bad, you know, a, a, maybe a hard night's sleep, or, or I don't know, sometimes there's people, they've wrestled through stuff emotionally, and, and uh, they, maybe they were scared. I remember kids when they were been scared overnight, and nightmares, and they, they, like, look for, oh, the sun's coming up. It's like there's a comfort, isn't it? 
There's certain comforts in, okay, the sun is shining. You know, we could actually turn off all of our lights and open the windows and have enough to do what we need to do in here today if we wanted. The light in the sun is shining. It's comforting. That, that is like Jesus. They had been walking with Jesus. It's like he is the sun, and they enjoyed it. But the sun in their life is going to go down. He's going to be away. His presence, that earthly relationship, they believe on him. They're saved men. They're, they have, they have the, the gift of eternal life. But the sun's going to go down. Sometimes people, there's a lot of people, like, again, back to the analogy, they don't look forward to the sun going down. They don't like the nights. <coughs> Because of darkness, or just there's a sense of loneliness, right? Doesn't that happen? I know you can be lonely any time of the day, but sometimes it can just amplify a little bit at night. When the sun goes down, you can have a certain gloom that can happen to us as humans. But what you can have when the sun goes down is you can have a, a little light to just maybe help you in your room or in your house or about your house. I don't like a house totally dark all around. I like a little bit of light around my house. We want a little bit of light around this place. So our church sign out here, there is the only light. See our church sign out here? You can't see it, but you know it. The church sign out here, the sun is shining on it. There needs nothing else. When the sun goes down, <coughs> we have what's called a photo cell. It's a thing that's uh, wired into the wiring of these small lights that are in front of the church sign. The photocell is designed that when the sun, the light of the sun is gone, it signals to turn the light of the lights, those two lights of the sign on. Okay? I could actually go over to the photocell and cover my hand over the photocell and just for maybe a few seconds, because there's like a little uh, glass thing that's receiving light from the sun to say, don't turn anything on. When I go like that over the photo cell, you give it a, a little bit, and the lights of the church sign will come on. Because the lights of the church sign think that, oh, the sun's not up, so we're going to shine. So, and we have another one on that side of the building. When the sun goes down, there's two lights on that side of the building that come on. They're smaller. That is, that is like the situation these disciples were in. We're like, oh, he goes away. But he says, if I don't go away, you're not going to have this other light. It's called the comfort. It's really a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But it's like Jesus left, in this sense, left, okay, that way. And when he left, the Holy Spirit came on these believers of this first century. I believe it came, he came at the day of Pentecost, which was like 40 days, 50 days later. So Jesus left 50 days later. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on everyone who was a genuine believer in the light. It's like they had now their own light. And here's the thing. Jesus says, that is, that is a benefit. Here's why. Let's imagine we're first century believers. We're among the apostles and some of the others. We don't have Jesus anymore. We don't have Jesus anymore. Jesus is gone, but he says, I'm going to send you my comforter. And he sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And there was evidence that the Holy Spirit came that day. And there was some signs that God did to show them, yes, he's here. But he's now with me, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter is with me everywhere I go now. Everywhere. Now let me just pause a second. Some of you think, what are you talking about? Why are you preaching all this? The reason I'm preaching about this is because Jesus mentions it so many times. And he wants people who are believers to understand this. And here's another reason why I teach on the Comforter and the Holy Spirit. Here's another reason why I teach on it, not just because Jesus emphasized it. 
Another reason is because it shows in the Bible that it's the key to us having spiritual power. The key to us having any spiritual power to do any, produce anything substantial in our life is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not the fruit of you and its joy and its peace. It's not the fruit of you and your flesh. And another reason why I want us to teach, we'll get to these points here in a moment, on the Holy Spirit and the Comforter is this. Because there's false spirits. Many false spirits are in the world. First John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out in the world, and there's false spirits. Have you ever heard of, anybody ever heard of a guy named Kenneth, Kenneth Hagen? May have heard that name? May not have. He was more in the, kind of in the 90s. He died in the early 2000s. So <clears throat> he had, and he, he represents a crowd in a segment of Christianity that I think is dangerous, charismatic movement. And so he was in, he was like one of these kind of, it was kind of like a health wealth type preacher and uh, so-called. And he, um, in the 90s, I think it was in Canada and other places, they had this thing that was like, you know what? It was a revival. It was the laughing revival. And I'll just tell you, to, add, to respond to that statement, it's a false revival, okay? It was a phony one. They called it the laughing revival. And he'd come and, he'd, and he, would, he really wouldn't even really preach, say much. But he'd have this big crowd. I think, like I said, one of them, famous one, was in Toronto. And he would, just, he would use some Bible verses, like there's a verse that says, you know, and it's really a Jewish verse. It says, you know, when we returned to Zion, then was our, when we came back from our captivity, we were happy and our mouth was filled with laughter. Ha, ha, ha. And he takes a verse like that. And he flips it over and twists it and hands it over to people in this day and age and says, you know what? You know, you should be laughing. And he kind of gives this impression like evidence that God's really in your life is that you're just laughing. And that's part of his messaging. And of course, there's always a sliver of truth in everything, right? Of course, you should have some joy. But here's what it is. Creepy if you watch some of the stuff that happened. It is creepy, man. And I tell you, there is a spirit there, and I'm convinced it was a demonic spirit, if not many. And he was walking around the crowd, and he's like, ha, 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 ha. He did this hiss thing, and one commentator says he's like a snake. What's, why are you surprised? You know? And so he would just, and then he'd go, ha, 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 ha. He'd walk around the crowd and like, ha, ha. And then, and then he'd look at somebody, and they'd be like, ha, 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 too. And then he'd go like this, and they'd go, Ugh! and they'd shake and fall over and all this. And, the, and he would do that, and then all of a sudden, it was like everybody's kind of like laughing around the crowd, and I'm hearing, I'm like, it just sounds like demons mocking the things of God through humans. And, it's, and, and, and there was just, I don't, really want, I don't want to keep describing it. It's crazy. It's, it, it's some of the things, the movements, the movements that some people are doing. I'm like, that is not human movement. And it's not the Holy Spirit because of the nature and the message and the substance he's preaching. There was definitely demonic spirits working through that guy. And there was no gospel, there was no sin, salvation, believe on Christ, none of that stuff. There was none of that. It was a fake, phony spirit being preached. And so, but we say stuff like that, like, yes, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm one of those non-charismatic Bible-believing Baptists. Okay, but the fact is, there is still a spirit. There is still the Holy Spirit, and Jesus called him the Comforter, and we need him or we're dead in our spiritual life. And so let's look at this text. There's a lot of texts that we could look at, but here's a good chunk of one where we can learn and we can answer this question. What will he do? Jesus kept saying, the comforter's coming. The comforter's coming. 
The question is, what will he do? Here's, here's our four points. Number one, not that difficult to think. He will, number one, comfort. We'll see. Number two, he will reprove. Number three, we'll see he will guide. And number four, we'll see that he will glorify Jesus. That's all we're going to look at. What will the comforter do? And if, that, if we got a grip of those things, that'll keep us out of a lot of trouble and keep us in a good place of dependence on him. Number one, Jesus kept mentioning the comforter. What will he do? He will comfort. Nevertheless, is it, I tell you the truth, verse 7, is it expedient, you, expedient for you that I go? If I go not away, the comforter will not come. Let's back up. Back up to chapter 14. Chapter 14. Look at verse 15, 16, 17, 18. Chapter 14. Listen to these words. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he shall be, for he dwelleth with you. That is, the Holy Spirit was there among them when Jesus and shall be in you. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Look what it says again. Back at verse 16. Jesus says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you, what does it say? Another comforter. So what does another mean? It means Jesus was the first one. So Jesus was their comfort, and in, 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 that's how he is. He was their comfort to them, and that's what he is to us. He is to us through the Holy Spirit. In other words, the comfort that I receive from God in this life is the same type of comfort that the very disciples received when they were just around Jesus, and John was laying on Jesus' breast, laying on him, and, and the others hung around him, and they just loved having Jesus around that comfort is the same comfort that I can have and you can have. If we're going to believe the Bible, he says, I'm going to send you another comforter. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. The words there are sometimes translated orphans. I'm not going to leave you like little sad orphans. I'm going to come to you. We need comfort. People are looking for it in, in different ways. And sometimes God lets us be uncomfortable for a while. I'm not going to lie. But we know we have His presence, and even just the idea of His presence is comforting. I remember I, one of our missionaries, Joe Martinez, telling me one time, he's now retired in Montana, but he was a missionary for over 30 years in Argentina, which is in South America. And I remember t him talking to me, telling me when they went down to Argentina, he and his wife, Shelly, and their two kids, a son and a daughter. They went down to Argentina. That way is Argentina. And um, they, you know, he had a small amount of missionary support, but they also needed to still generate a little income, and they wanted to find a way to connect with the community. So they started a donut shop. I'm like, I'd, I'd be going there. I'd get this Argentinian, you know. <laughs> they started a little donut shop, and they're trying to run a donut shop and also trying to plant a church. And, and he said, I remember, he goes, in our early years of trying to get this church started and running this donut shop, he says, man, it was, it's getting hard. He goes, we were working so hard on both. 
My kids were working extremely hard in this donut shop, and I could barely pay them. He wanted to pay them. He wanted to show them that, you know, there's a fruit to, to work. And he says, I got to where after a while, he goes, I just remember one day trying to, bear, you know, you're barely making a profit. You can barely pay the kids, struggling to get the church started. And a lot of his transportation was by bus. He said, I remember one day just being so down. And he says, um, very low while I got on the bus and was taking the bus ride home. And he said, I just remember sitting there in that bus. And uh, I think he had said he prayed a little bit and just sitting there feeling so low. And, he said, and this is exactly what he told me. He goes, I can't explain it, brother. But I just know as I was sitting there, I felt like God just gave me a big old hug and said, it's going to be all right. And he says, I think, you know, I believe that's just God's Holy Spirit way of comforting me. You know, God has ways of doing that for us. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad, that it's, it's known, it's sensed abroad in our hearts. By what? By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. God comforts us through the Holy Spirit. But number two, let's go to the second point. This is saying we're getting comforted as believers. But watch this. Before a person is a believer, they don't need to be comforted. They need to be disturbed. So number two, he reproves. Jesus says, what will the Holy Spirit do? He will reprove. Look at verse 8. When he has come, he will reprove. Reprove means to expose something and bring it to light. That's exact. To prove again. Let's, Let's prove this. Right there. See that? That's how the truth is. He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So, all right, so before, the Holy Spirit, before a person can know the comfort of God, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, peace with God, they have to first have, sense a disturbance in a reproving of something. And what is Jesus saying? This is Jesus. This is not me. This is not me kind of taking a strange angle on Scripture. It says he will reprove. So what's it talking about? Jesus kind of speaks about three things. He says he will reprove the world of sin. That means... He's going to, he's in the business of exposing sin. This is something where it's like, I should just clear off a spot right here. The Holy Spirit wants us to be honest with sin, lost or saved. That's what he, that's his job. I'm a light, bring, flash right on there. You're a believer with sin, doesn't matter. You're an unbeliever with sin, doesn't matter. Because sin Unless sin is seen and perceived in God's light, I don't care about Jesus thoroughly that much. The Holy Spirit is in the business of exposing sin. Otherwise, Christ means nothing to a person until they have a regard for their sin, until they have a regard, a fearful regard about their sin they'll not have much of a regard about God's solution for sin. Just like I tell you, I've said it all the time, I don't care about these lawyers that are on billboards in Iraq need a check. But if I get in Iraq, I'll be like, oh, man. Johnny and I were making, there's this one couple, they, that's like a, they have this commercial, and it gets on our nerves. This one couple, like for injury lawyers, and they're like, yeah, hi, we're going to, the husband and wife law team, and it's like, oh, psh, psh. don't, 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 just, you be quiet. What does the guy say? She's just a little whiny. And my boy's like, Dad, turn it. The radio ads. The team are like, Shh. Okay. So I hope they're not watching. Come sue me. 
And Johnny and I, the other day, we saw that commercial. We're like, oh, man, husband and wife bonding. Just, and then I'm like, Johnny, you know what's going to happen to us one day? We're going to have a bad injury in our family, and we're going to be like, man, we need to call. And everybody's, and all the lawyers are all busy. And we're going to be like, oh, John, we're going to have to call that husband and wife all to you. Hey, we saw your commercials. Yeah. You know, and then we're going to need them, you know. Again, lawyers and attorneys, injury lawyers don't mean much to you if you're not injured. And a savior means nothing to somebody if they don't think they need to be saved. A person who cleanses sin means nothing to somebody if they don't think they're dirty with it. And most Americans don't think they're dirty with sin. And so the Holy Spirit, that's why it's like our, my life, your life, this church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Not a power of the Holy Spirit that causes people to laugh crazy and bob, fall over and babble and so-called speak in tongues. We need just genuine, just normal Christianity power of the Holy Spirit because it needs to awaken the lost and quicken the saved. That's what we need. And Jesus says, well, here's what, is he, here's what he does through you and in his own way. He reproves the world of sin. All right. And then he says of righteousness, and I'm going to try to give you my understanding of it. He says of righteousness because I go unto my Father and you see me no more. I think what that's saying is when Jesus ascended, when he died and rose from the dead and ascended, it confirmed that he was the righteousness of God and he's accepted with God. In other words, that a person needs the righteousness of Christ in contrast to their sin, and that Jesus being righteous was resurrected and accepted of God. Okay. You know, anybody else rise from the dead and just go floating up to heaven? Nope. I mean, they might have some kind of legend or myth somewhere, but this one's got some more proof with Jesus doing it. So the world needs to be, the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to repent to reprove a person, to expose sin and see this is sin, you know, whether it's in a Christian or if it's in a lost person. But especially for a lost person, this is, you, this is why you'll go to hell because you're lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer, and heart. Yeah. Just like many of the rest of us, Holy Spirit wants to convince it. And then to say, and Jesus is the righteousness. He's the only righteous one who came and took that punishment of sin in your place and he ascended to the Father. And the Holy Spirit wants to convince somebody, reprove somebody of that event, that thing that happened. And then it says, he will reprove, that is, he will, he will expose the world of sin, of the issue of righteousness. He will expose the world of the issue of judgment. Look what it says, verse 11. Of judgment, the Holy Spirit will reprove the world of, verse 11, of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Now, Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit convinces the world that the devil is, is being, is, has been judged of God and will further be judged of God, I believe. I know he will. Of judgment. That is, the devil will not escape his final judgment because of his sin. Now, let me back up. The devil was judged in a sense when he was with all the angels and one-third of those angels followed Satan and rebelled against God and they were... They, they're in a sense of fallen state, and they're evil spirits. So there's a judgment in that sense. But there's a final judgment we've looked at, that one day the devil and his angels will be cast into the lake of fire. Well, the devil will be cast it for a while. Then they're all going to get cast in the lake of fire. So Jesus is saying this. The devil will not escape judgment because of his sin. Neither will those who abide in his realm. And so... In some way, 
Jesus says, okay, guys, I'm leaving. I know you're sad, but if I don't go, you won't get this benefit. So he goes, and you'll get this benefit. The comforter will be with you. He comforts. He goes along with you. He's walking with you because the word means paraclete, the one who follows along or goes along. And he's going to reprove, you know, you're doing the preaching and teaching, but he's actually the one who's going to really reprove people of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. By the way, that's a, that's a good thing for us as, as we think about the fact that today, like, you know, we're supposed to, to tell the gospel. I'm supposed to say, you know, help some, teach somebody how to be saved and one-on-one or from a pulpit. But what's encouraging to me is that I don't, I, there's only so much I can do. The Holy Spirit has to convince and convict, you know. And he does that work. And I just let him work through me because he's in me. All right, so that's what he does. Two, those two points, comfort and reprove. And then the third one, let's look at this one. He will guide. Look at verse, um, just in verse 13 right there. Or 12 and 13, I'm sorry. Verse 12 and 13. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Let's take that again. So the point in these two verses is that the Holy Spirit will guide. Now think about what it's saying in verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Okay, so rewind back into Jesus' day. Jesus is with the disciples. He had 12 disciples. Jesus didn't get through all of his curriculum with them. I mean, homeschoolers were like that all the time, you know. I have yet many things to say unto you, homeschoolers, but you're just too... Lazy, you're not doing it. No, anyways. No, no. I, I, my kids have been doing pretty good this year. My wife deserves a lot of credit um, doing most of the teaching. But, you know, Jesus has the curriculum, and he's telling them. He says, guys, look, here we are, verse 12. I have many, I got so many things I'd love to teach you, but you just can't even handle it. You, can't, you cannot bear them now. It's like I'd just be dumping a load on you. Like, Whoa, I can't take all this stuff. What it means is I have all the contents of Romans and 1 Corinthians, the substance of those doctrine, and all the epistles and, and the, the, the book of Jude and the book of Revelation and all these other things, all that content that we got later. He says, I, would, I can't tell you guys all that right now. You can't bear that, but the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. There's another scripture that basically where Jesus says, he's going he's gonna to basically in the future, basically what he's saying is to his apostles is this. I'm not done teaching you, but when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and He's going to start teaching you the rest of what I wanted you to know. And that was true. Peter learned, all of them learned some more things, and then to another step, they actually, then Peter began to pen First and Second Peter. And John did the gospel, and then First, Second, Third John, and Revelation. And so there was things after Jesus was gone, He gave them, and He showed them things to come. He showed them prophetic things. He said that happens when the Holy Spirit comes and holy men of God were moved in, by the Holy Spirit and, and wrote the Bible. And so even as the Bible's in your lap, like the right, from pretty much to the right onward in your Bible, is the Comforter guided those men to continue finish writing the Scripture. So what does that mean for us? Well, I'm not writing any Scripture. I think it's all done. But He still guides... Look what it says in verse 13. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth... He will guide you into all truth. I don't think he's not, I don't think it's he only meant it for the 12 disciples. He will guide me into all truth and you, right? How many of you got the truth, the whole, the whole truth all figured out? 
How many of you even read the whole truth? A few have read the whole truth. Some of us, I haven't read the whole truth yet, being the Bible. And I, many of us, I, haven't, I don't have it all figured out. Well, he guides you. And you know what? I think Rusty was kind of mentioning a little bit of this. He, he's not going to dump all the meaning of it all on you at once. He has many things to teach us too, but we can't bear it now. I'm like, come on, God, I want to know that one little weird word in that one uh, minor prophet or something. No, you're not ready for that. You can't bear that right now. Yeah, the Holy Spirit does the same thing that Jesus was doing. He's like, disciples, I was, I've just been spoon-feeding you stuff, and, and sometimes uh, a little more. And so, But the Holy Spirit will come and take my place and do that. And so that's what he's doing. The Holy Spirit does it for us. As you read the Bible, he'll, he'll teach you what you need to know for now. I believe that. This is, I, I mean this. I think that if a person says, God, um, teach me what you want me to know. God, guide me into all truth. I believe God will guide you into all truth. Even if there's like a thing, even if there is a kind of a perplexing thing in the Bible, I think that if you pray that God will eventually reveal that to you. And here's why. Because he said he will guide you into all truth. How can God ignore that prayer? Okay, so, and, and maybe, maybe some of you are accustomed to doing that, and praise the Lord for that. Depend on the Holy Spirit of God to teach you the Bible. I was talking to a girl, we, um, Camille here today, Bob, her husband had a fall and a couple weeks ago, and it was in the hospital, and he's in a, a rehab, rehabilitation center, and, and uh, Noah and I got to visit him yesterday. And Noah got to, they were playing cards, and they let Noah play. It's pretty cool. So he was doing this rehabilitation and um, there's different exercises and stuff that they do. And uh, part of it was like standing and going like this, and they had weights on their wrists while they're kind of playing this little card game. And there was three of them there, and they let, end up letting Noah play with them. And uh, there was another young lady. She's like 30. That's young for me, you know, yeah. 30 right there. And she, she was, she's recovering from something, and, and uh, she ended up asking me who I was. And in between the game, in between the little turns on the game, asks me what I do and all that. Oh, you're a Baptist pastor. Okay. And yeah, I go to a Baptist church in Maricopa, but it doesn't exist anymore. And, and, then, and then she says, are you going to be here for a, while, for a while or through this whole session? I said, yeah. She goes, could you just come say a prayer with me? I said, sure. I said, let me, let me visit with Bob. When he's done, we're going to go back to his room and I'll sit and visit with him. And then I'll, what's your room number? And she told me, and then, all right, I'll walk over there with my son and we'll visit with you. And so Jack, all right. So um, so we did that. So they did their game, and we went back with Bob and sat in his room for a little bit and talked and with him and, and, and prayed with him. And then, like, three rooms over was this other lady, uh, uh, Kayla was her name, and went in there, and we went inside, and she was sitting down and doing some things at a little thing with the tray, and, and uh, hi, you know, and, and so she gave Noah, like Noah sat next to me, she gave Noah a little crossword puzzle to work on while I talked, just got to know her a little bit. She has a testimony of being saved and, and um, uh, told me a little bit about some of her ailments and some life challenges that she has. And, and then she's like, well, I, you know, how do I, I, I want to start reading the Bible and what, what do I, she's been a Christian a while but hasn't really read it. Like, I want to read through the whole thing. And I've been told, don't do Genesis because it's too hard to understand and all this. And I said, well, you know, I wouldn't do that. I said, what you should do is go ahead and start in Genesis and start in Matthew and start in two places and go like that, a little bit each day, maybe a chapter each, and just start going. Don't only do the Old Testament. Don't only do that. Just start a little bit each day and eat 
on, on a chapter each for one, you know, and, and work your way through it. And I kind of gave her a kind of a gist of some of the books where it might be a little more meaty. And then she goes, yeah, now I was going to look at this Bible, and I got this study Bible, and I got this book, and I got this. And I said, that's okay. I said, let me just tell you this. And I, I said, you just take the Bible, and you sincerely pray to God and say, God, teach me what I need to know right now out of this before you look at anybody else's comments. You do that. God knows what you need to hear right now. And if you pray to Him, He says His Holy Spirit, teach us. Now, either that's true or it's not, and we can throw the Bible away. But He says it multiple times. And she says, you know what? That's exactly what I need. I heard my mom say that. That's what I'm going to do. And so... And so I was able to encourage her with it a little bit. It's like, God is, your, God is the best teacher for us. He will guide us into all truth. He guides us gradually in steps. We mentioned that. He guides us doctrinally when you're trying to sort out something. He guides us directionally in life steps. I think God, it says He will guide you into all truth. I want to go in a true direction. I want to go in the right way. He will guide you into all truth. You know, now, this doesn't, it's not like, um, let me just say it this way. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and so you need to be sensitive. You and I need to be sensitive to when He tells us to go to the left or go to the right or stop or say something or whatever. We need to be sensitive to the things He impresses us with. And I know there's a little bit of subjectivity to that, but nevertheless, it's true. He's there to tell you. David said, Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. You Let me back up a little bit. Let me back up. When I was in college, I've told you about the, my notorious playing basketball at our college and getting beat all the time. So we had a basketball team, and it was, it was still fun for the most part, except, you know, you're going to lose. Can we win someday? You know, and we'd win every now and then. And so we played, high, we played college basketball against some Christian colleges in this area. There's less of them now. Um, and, uh, but I remember one year, well, our first two years, our coach was a guy from Brazil. He's a missionary from Brazil who was in the States for a while. He coached us. Our second year was the same missionary from Brazil in the States. And, but he only got to coach us for maybe half the season, I think. And... Um, so he was our coach, and we do, he'd coach us, and we'd go out and play and everything, and we'd go back on the sidelines and get, get our cues from him or whatever. But then one, halfway through that second season, he, he, I don't know what happened. He had to go back to Brazil or something or on the road. And so we had one of the players coach us, who was actually the, happened to be the youth pastor of the ministry that this college was at. He was a taller guy. He played college basketball himself. He's had a good, he ended up being our center. Uh, his name is Dave Young. Not to be confused with, some of you know Dave Young, an evangelist. Not that guy. It's a different Dave Young. He was this youth pastor. And pretty decent build and everything. And play, could play pretty good. Had good leadership qualities. So we literally had another player as our coach. And that was, that was, it was actually pretty cool. If you can do it, you know. And so he would... He would get us on the sidelines, say what they do, bring, come out there with us. Most of the time he was playing with us. So he's coaching and playing with us. And I really like that. I don't know if that could be done all the time, but I really like that. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. The word 
Comforter means paraclete, means a coach right by you, going along with you. And so what does it say here? Jesus says he will guide you into all truth. So I need him to guide me into all truth, even just, just direction of life. Where am I going? What am I doing? God, what do you want me to do today? God, have you put something on my heart for me to do? He will guide us, I believe. I was taught, in fact, yesterday, Bob Devon, we were, we were in, the, in the room talking to him, and he said, I don't know why he brought this up, but he, he always has a cool story to tell. And um, he said, um, you know, I knew this, it was like a missionary or some Christian man. He says, he would take Bibles into, he'd take Bibles and different supplies into Russia, when the, when the wall came down in the like late 80s, early 90s, he, said, he, he, he would go in there and he'd give Bibles to people, go to orphanages and stuff like that. And um, he says, I knew a guy who did that. And he goes, and he, he tells the story. He said, this guy, this one guy who was giving out Bibles to these different places, and particularly an orphanage in Russia, went to this one orphanage and giving out Bibles. And there was a blind boy, a blind kid. And he still, he... I know what it was. I think it was like the next day, he didn't give it to him. The next day, he's like, I need to give them my Bible. I just feel like the Lord wants me to give this blind kid a Bible. And it wasn't Braille. He's like, I think I need to give it to him. And so they went, and he ended up talking to him, and he gave it to him, and, and people were just going, what are you giving this kid? Can't read it. No, no, I think he needs to have it. He just gave him the Bible, this blind kid the Bible. Maybe he's 10 years old or something. I don't know what he was. So this kid can't see, can't read. He's like, I know God wanted me to do that. Well, in that, some of the orphans there actually have parents and they know who their parents are. But they're just there for a long time until parents can come back and afford to take them. So this boy's parents did come back eventually. I don't know how long it was. They came back. They got this kid. They took him out with the Bible. And I don't know if it was the people in the orphanage or the kid himself. I think it was the kid himself said, read me this Bible. So the parents had to read this kid the Bible. And he found out that the parents started reading the kid the Bible, and they all became Christians. <laughs> I like that. That was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knew what he was doing, huh? He knew what he was doing. Imagine if me, he just said, you should, we should give Bibles to me. But I'm wondering, God knew that just shoving a Bible in the hands of each of those parents wouldn't be as effective as putting in the blind, Bible of the blind kid, whom they already had a heart for, and he's asking for it, so they read it. Their hearts soften, and now... God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Leading people, doesn't he? Yeah. So he guides us into all truth. And that's what he does. And that's what we need. And then number four, well, this will be our last point. It says he will glorify. He, oh, wait a minute. He glorifies Jesus. Look what it says there. It says, um, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. That is, Everything the Holy Spirit says or does is to, to make Jesus known. I, let me just put it to you this way. If, if I am a Christian and I'm highly educated and I know the Bible and I go to church and I do all these stuff, but I don't seem very Christ-like, then that's evidence the Holy Spirit's not working in my life. The Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit's working in my life, it, more of Jesus is being seen in me. He will glorify me, Jesus says. He shall glorify me. He won't glorify the singer or the Christian or the preacher or the athlete. He may empower them, but he's not going to glorify them for their sake. But where Jesus is being seen and being known and being believed on and being reflected more and more genuinely, wherever Jesus is being 
exalted and glorified, that's where the Holy Spirit is working. Did you know that in Charles Spurgeon, he was an excellent preacher in his, in his day over, whatever, 150 years ago. They, the story goes is that, you know, some person finally went to hear him for the first time. And they came back to their house. And um, there was another person in the house who had already heard Spurgeon. And they came back to their house and they, the person says, how did you like, how did you like the um, hearing the message or going that came back, it's like, he's wonderful. He is just wonderful. And the person says, I know, he's, Spurgeon's a wonderful, wonderful preacher. He goes, no, the Jesus he preached. It's wonderful. And that's exactly, that's, I think, why that's a blessing on Spurgeon. It's like, you read, just read it. Everything's about Jesus. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So, who guides you? Who guides you? He says he will guide you into all truth. Does some other things guide you? Do you let the Lord reprove you? Are we willing to let the Lord reprove through us to another lost person? That's exactly, that's how he works. He makes people uncomfortable before they can be comfortable in that sense. That's how he works. I want to work with him. What's being, who or what is being glorified in your life? He glorifies Jesus. He can glorify Jesus through any, per, through any life in here. It doesn't matter how old or young we are. He, does he comfort you? called the comforter. Is that true for you? That's what he does. I want to trust in it and claim him, claim that. I read a little incident about um, in World War II, they had like, there was a time where England was, London, I don't know if it's just all of England, but I know parts of London was being bombed. And, um, you know, people, oh, they're disturbing the, the city and the businesses and all, of course, obviously with bombings. And uh, businesses wouldn't operate as normal and everything. People are hunkering down. But after a while, <clears throat> when the bombing kind of recited, um, you know, because people would want to go to a business still to get something, or, and they couldn't. And so one of them finally put a, a sign out that said, you know, business as usual, <laughs> Even though it's just a disaster out here, business as usual. And when I read that story, the Christian commentator says it should be that you say under new management. And that's how sometimes we are. It's like everything's falling. Sometimes our life's falling apart. The world's, it's like, I don't want to say business as usual. I want to make, I'm under new management. God's managing me. I don't want to be like every... You know that the world lives in the flesh. We have to live in the spirit. I have to constantly say, God, you be the manager here. And I don't want to be business as usual. I want to be under new management and renew that management. That's what we need today. Looking unto Jesus, we look unto his comforter that he taught us about. Let's pray and thank God for that.